Welcome back to a brand new bonus episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and today I am joined by the co-owners of Wet Ink Games. I have Brandon K. Aiton, and I have Matthew Orr. What is up, fellas? Hey, what's up, man? Welcome to Full Metal RPG. It's a pleasure having you gentlemen on. Yeah, it's great to be here. So uh, we met at uh, Gen Con this year, and uh, of course I was familiar with you from your Kickstarter. Uh, what I did not know uh, at that moment was that I already owned one of your books, which was uh, Sovietsky. So uh, it was really great meeting you guys. You guys are super cool. And we've been kind of following uh, Wet Ink Games since um, the just kind of blockbuster, like, never going home um uh, Kickstarter, which, I mean, I don't know about the rest of the RPG world, but it was the thing that everybody in my RPG group was talking about for a while, and it has made uh, like a big impact on um, the group that I play in. I mean, it comes up a lot. It gets run around here all the time. So um, you guys want to take a second and kind of introduce yourselves to our listeners? Uh, Matthew, you've been on before. Uh, why don't we start off with Brandon? Yeah, man. Um, so my name is Brandon Aiton. You introduced me, uh, but <clears throat> I've been, uh, in the gaming industry, um, since about 2004, where I started working with Palladium books. Um, you know, they do riffs and they had the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, uh, and a bunch of other stuff, Palladium fantasy, all kinds of stuff. Um, and you mentioned Sovietsky, uh, that was actually, uh, my most recent title with them and co-written with Matt. Uh, but yeah, I cut my teeth there with, uh, with Palladium, a number of different books over there. Um, worked on Mad Haven, worked on Triax 2, a bunch of stuff they had in their uh, quarterly magazine for a while. Uh, and just had a great relationship with, with that crew over there. Um, and then uh, been working with uh, other freelance uh, in, in a freelance capacity for other companies for a while uh, did stuff with, uh, Nerdburger Games, who does Capers, um, which is a great game. Um, worked with Third Eye Games on a couple of their stuff, uh, a couple of their things. Bloat Games for um, doing some OSR stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously Wet Ink, where, uh, I serve as the business director over there, um, over here, I guess. And we, uh, get to create our own stuff, uh, games that we really like. Uh, things that we necessarily don't see in uh, in the market, and that Matt and I get to say, well, it'd be really fun to to do. Um, our first game, Wild Skies, was anthropomorphic sky pirates over like 1930s Europe, and that really came about because we wanted to play uh, like kind of like a callback to the old TMNT, uh, but we didn't want like a modern setting, so we we're like, ah, yeah, let's do like, you know. Sky Pirates, like, and so that's where that game came about. We hadn't seen anything else like it, and we wanted to do, do it, so we played it and eventually just just wrote it, and uh, that kicked off this whole, um, you know, this, this whole adventure that we're on now with uh, Wet Ink and uh, leading up to Never Going Home, which was, as you said, I mean, it was a big hit. It definitely surprised us when we launched it uh, a couple years ago, and. Uh, I guess it was like the end of 2017 uh, or 2018 uh, when we launched it. Definitely took us by surprise, and it's just been going great ever since. Awesome. Awesome. that's Dude, that's great. That's great. There's a few things in there I'm going to want to follow up on. Uh, Matthew, welcome to the show. This is your second time on. Welcome back. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I, man. I love hearing uh, you... I love hearing you say that like people are playing the game out in your neck of the woods. Like uh, you know, we as as many people as you know, like our fans uh, or our writers and you know people that we've worked with are all like, oh yeah, I love it, I love it, love it. But like, it's neat to hear that you know from we're not in every game group, right? So like, it's nice to hear that other people are are uh, are playing it. It's great. 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, we actually have a little gaming club here, and it was it's kind of like branded. It's like a full mill RPG gaming club, and there's this, this guy, and he kind of he was like a D and D guy, D and D five guy, and he came and he played a lot. And um, I just kind of, you know, maybe this is my prejudice showing here, but I guess kind of thought that's who he was, is that he was a D&D 5 guy. And then when he stepped up to, like, start game mastering in our group, he, he debuted it with uh, Never Going Home, and uh, people raved about it, man. They were like, it really kind of distinguished him as being, like, this guy who had this, like, this kind of taste, you know what I'm saying? He knew how to suss out a good game because he had found it on the Kickstarter, and then he was able to really prove his horror chops with it. And I think that a lot of people, I think it, it it definitely changed the way I looked at him because I was like, man, this guy's got fucking chops and he runs good games. That is awesome to hear. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. Isn't it fun when you like you, you think you have a guy like totally pegged and it's like, oh yeah, that's the guy who's always going to like play the barbarian or that's the person who's always going to, you know, come in here and min-max their character and they totally take you off guard. That's awesome. Totally, totally, and I guess like he did, he followed up with some mothership, and I was just like, I was just like, man, did I have him wrong? He was just, he's just like into all these like cool ass games that are the same things I have sitting on my shelf, you know. I want to get mothership and get it to the table. It just, you know, like Matt is, you know, and don't necessarily want to speak for him, but like I've known Matt for forever, and he's a huge alien fan and i know that free league just put out their alien rpg but like whenever i see mothership like on drive through or i see people playing it at a con i'm always like that that's alien like i want to play that and i want matt to run it hell yeah hell yeah have, have you picked it up matt the the new free league one or mothership i know Mother, mothership have those Oh man, we should find out a way to get you Mothership because uh, that's a that's a that's a fucking killer game, and I think that it's like a uh, it's um I think it's gonna have like underground credentials. Like regardless of what happens with uh, Free League Alien, I think that um, people will always be playing Mothership the way that like Punk didn't go away when like Green Day came out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they'll be it's, it's like two different groups. You know? Yeah, we'll find a way to get Matt Mothership. Uh- I'll so, you know I'll slip it into his Christmas stocking or something. It's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. I got I got shelf space problems here. I've uh, I put a 2020 moratorium on new material. So uh, no, I, are you I, serious? Well, You'd be. I real. just got a new shelf at my house. Yeah. So well, I am. I am. I'm very conscious of shelf space, and so I'm. I've got a lot of RPGs that I haven't read yet, so I need to read those <laughs> to free. And if they they don't pass muster, then they're going off the shelf, and then I'll have some space. But like. I gotta, I gotta dedicate to reading what I got this year, but uh, I did I, write it down. So uh, coming back to that, I do dig that. I dig that ethos because uh, I just recently, in the last few months, went through a big purge, and I purged out all the stuff that I was like, "Come on, man, you're kidding yourself." And then um, <laughs> I kept like the juicy morsels, and then um, I also, uh, I also just bought a bunch of shelves to put them on. So. Right now, the role-playing library is looking looking tight. Um, yeah. I- so, so uh, Brandon, you were saying like uh, you 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 said the words. Uh, I want to get it to the table. So, this is what I really want to know from you guys before we kind of you know get into it in earnest. Is uh, what are you guys playing? Like, what is the hot shit? What are you guys playing? Oh man. Well, so we recently reconnected with uh, some friends who uh you know we all gamed with in in college at various points and um they were their 5e group had like fallen apart and we had never played 5e and we really wanted to you know check it out like the last edition of dnd i played was 3.0 um and so we're like yeah we want to check it out we hear good things and so we've been been playing with them and we have two homebrew campaigns uh, that we've played off and on for uh, for about the past year. But we also have, and we play every week. Um, Matt and I have been lucky enough to be in, uh, or be the core of a group that is more or less stayed the same for, in some iteration, for about 10 years. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we might, you know, play D&D for, you know, three or four months or something, and they're like, okay, we're going to switch up, we're going to do some playtesting for some uh, other indie designers that we know, or we're going to playtest some stuff that we're working on. Um, so, like, yeah, like, this this coming Monday, we're taking off, uh, taking off, taking a break from D&D, and we're going to actually run Never Going Home, because a number of our 
the people in our group actually backed and supported the original Kickstarter. So, uh, and they're like, yeah, man, we really want to play. So we're going to, um, we're going to throw that on the table. Um, and yeah, we, we, we pretty much play anything. And a lot of times, um, a lot of times we really want to check out new systems. Uh, we're like, Oh, well, uh, we just play tested something for capers, and um, we we play tested uh, the the original book, and we had written a bunch of stuff uh, for for other products for that, but we wanted to to do that, so we brought it to the table, got some people who had never seen the system before, and said, "Okay, going to create a character from scratch, and we're going to provide feedback to the designer and see what he says," um, and like fate. Uh, is one that we we're going to be trying to get to the table. We d- did some Savage Worlds because we'd heard a lot about it. We'd seen the popularity of it in the market, um, and kind of as a as a crossover from like Five uh, E to some other more indie games, where you can see things that are that people are using it for. And so we were like, well, there's interest there. We've never played it. Let's see what it does. Uh, and we've done that for a number of different systems. Um, and I think one that I that personally I want to get to the table again is uh, the uh, Apocalypse World engine, like anything in the Apocalypse World engine, uh, because I like the more narrative storytelling and things that uh, that it has. And Matt ran uh, a book uh, or game that was um, written by one of our one of our buddies uh, called Lonely World. Um, and that was an indie title that was put out. I didn't a few run years that. Ago. He ran that. Oh, he ran that. That's right. Jeez. <laughs> Taylor ran that. He ran that. Anyway, it's a great so, game. Like, I, I, I like the system, and I want to see more of it. So that's one that I'm chomping at the yeah. bit to get to the table more. So, for, I think the other thing that I would add to that is, is a game that I played a few times last year, uh, all in one shots. But I played it, I think, three times last year. Is Kids on Bikes. And that's not like brand new, but it was new to me last year. And I, I love everything that that game is doing as far as like the group uh, creation of the town. I don't know if you know that one, Brendan, but like you, it, it's, I think it's got a lot of potential. Like it's, it's, you could play it as like a Scooby-Doo thing. You could go a little bit darker, make it buffy. You could go all the way to like make it into like some sort of, uh, you know, um, Twin Peaks kind of thing, like whatever tone you want, it, the rules are there for it, and um, I, I enjoyed playing that with a couple different groups last year, but that's probably the newest thing that I've gotten to the table, um, is that game. Is there anything in particular that you're like fiending on? Is there anything that you're like looking at on the shelf and you're like, man, I want to get that at the table? Paranoia. I want to get Paranoia to the table. <laughs> the, the new one or the old one? The new one. I never got to play the old one, and I I got the new one at Gen Con a couple years ago. I was like, I'm not leaving Gen Con without going and getting it. And so I have it, and it's just one that I really want to get to the table. Um, and, man, there's there was one that, uh, that I had wanted to play for a while, but I've been lucky enough to uh, have actually uh, joined another group um, – Actually, just in, I think we started in November. Um, it's Legend of the Five Rings. It's the fifth edition of Legend of the Five Rings. My wife has never played an RPG really. Um, she's a, a fantasy writer, but has never really played. And the guy who's running it actually has a degree in uh, like uh, Eastern studies, so it, he's phenomenal. He's like bringing all these cultural elements into it. He's very familiar with Rokugan and. All the stuff, so it just it blows my mind that we get to that we get to play with uh, a GM who's just absolutely crushing it. Awesome, awesome. How about you, Matthew? Is there anything that's just like that's like really calling to you from the shelf or from the store window as you walk by? Store window still, but uh, I think Star Trek Adventures is something that I I keep thinking about. I really like the rolling multiple d20s and their system there where you've got a you know, you add your stats up, and you got to roll under that on a d20, uh, and so it's a it's pretty intuitive in that way, and uh, really adaptive. And then you, I mean, what other game are you going to get to roll on an extreme roll? You're going to roll like 60/20s, like no other game lets you do that. That's amazing. So um, <laughs> plus, I'm a big Trek 
my family is a Trek family. We, I mean, as a kid, I used to watch it. Uh, as you know, me and my parents, we would watch Next Generation. I watched um, DS9, and so with the new Gamma Quadrant book that just came out, I'm like, oh man, we could play the Dominion War, and like my dad could be, you know, the logical Vulcan, and Brandon could be the womanizing captain, and like Sarah could get in there, and she could play a Trill or something like that, and like you know, I think it would be like a family role-playing experience. It would be amazing, actually. Like with uh, yeah, with the giant nerds that we have in the family, like it'd be amazing. Yeah. So if you guys that, are a Star Trek family, then you gotta be stoked for Picard, right? I think this comes. I think this episode is gonna drop like the night before Picard comes out. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it has me more intrigued than Discovery, but I I'm keeping with my limited thing. We got two streaming services, and I'm not gonna pick up a third one for one show. So oh, yeah, maybe yeah. someday, maybe someday, someday I'll see Picard. But it is exciting well, to see the news and what would make Patrick Stewart come back. Like, it's got to be something really cool. So, yeah. Ho- hopefully Excited it won't just theory. turn into a meme where it's like it's like baby Picard, like, <laughs> memed for years. And Bring it on, just... I say. That's fine with me. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, um, Picard is one of the, I mean, that was the one that, got me to really consider doing that, that CBS service. Cause I was like, all right, discovery. I hear a lot of really good things, but man, like Picard, I saw that and was just like, ah, oh, geez. All right. What's this going to be? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going to be great. And you know, whether I see it as it airs or whether I see it, you know, in a year or two, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to love absolutely every minute of it. Awesome. Awesome. It doesn't hurt well, that we uh, also know, you know, the the writers of the the Gamma Quadrant book, uh, one of our oh. yeah one of our friends who actually worked on Never Going Home, uh, John Kennedy w- worked on uh, the Gamma Quadrant book. Interesting, interesting. Do you have any insights into that? No. <laughs> no yeah, no. Just John was sharing it around on the uh, on the social medias, and I was like, oh, this you worked on this, amazing. Uh, no insights, but he though. Did. No insights. Yeah, other other than the fact that you know John is an absolutely fantastic writer, is doing some more stuff for us. Uh, I know that uh, that's going to be fantastic. I know you know working on that and John. I mean, John's had a spectacular year when it comes to that. So working on Star Trek and uh, working on the new Stargate, um, new Stargate RPG. That's going to be just absolutely stunning. Hey, Stargate, there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. That's uh, Everything Old is New Again, huh? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm still I'm still waiting for that Dune RPG that I keep on hearing is going to happen someday. I'm like, I'm waiting with bated breath for that one. Now, uh, gentlemen, so when I was listening to Matthew's original interview uh, with um, Richie, and uh, they were talking about kind of like how Matthew got into it and like what, you know, steps he, he took to be go move from being like like a gamer that games at home to being a professional writer and designer. And uh, and Matthew talked about playing Splicers. And I think I think he said his favorite game was Splicers or that the two of your favorite game was Splicers. And I was like sitting in the car listening to this episode and I was like, I was like, follow up. Follow up, and he didn't follow up. So now I got you both, and I want to hear about splicers. I want to hear about like the love of splicers. Like I don't know, like like pitch it to me. Like tell me about the love because I mean seriously, like System Mastery did a whole episode on splicers. I mean they tore it apart. Like I've never read it. Like I I, but like they had me like busting up listening to splicers. So tell me. Yeah. So I'll let Brandon pitch it here in a second, but I think yeah. what I said was it was my favorite campaign. Ah, your favorite campaign. Okay, we okay, played, okay. We played Splicers for like three or four years or something like that. So it started with a, a core group of characters, and then some of those characters, some of those players left the group, so then those characters were out of commission. But then it's just it's the longest that I've ever played a campaign with a single character. So that character got to see a lot of growth. And because ah, okay, splice, okay, and splices is like a military setting uh, in its own way. So that character got to really level up and like become an, an officer, and then have people under her, 
and that she had to give orders to and be responsible for and like that experience was the best campaign that I've ever been part of just because it had so much longevity to it but uh, I'll let Brandon take over because he's a big splice head so <laughs> so yeah it's really funny that you bring this up because I was just talking to Matt about this I I run a uh, I run a uh, a campaign for uh, for some local kids, and one of them asked me actually this week on Wednesday, like, "Hey, what's your what's your favorite campaign or what's your favorite game that you've ever played?" And I was like, "Oh, it's Splicers, hands down." And they were like, "We have no idea what that is," and so I pretty much just just laid it out. Like, and I don't get me wrong, like System Mastery, they are absolutely hilarious they did a they did a yeah i love that show they did one about wild skies which was our first book no seriously yeah man check it out it's really funny because like if you go out there and and listen to it like i was sitting in a someone someone told me about it at a con while i was at the table and i was like i've never heard of this and so on my lunch break i was eating in the hotel bar and i listened to the system mastery about wild skies and i about peed my pants it was i was cracking up and i was like and they're sitting there just like (laughs) ragging on our book and i'm like all right like i get it but man this is this is really funny ultimately they decided yeah we'd play it if someone brought it to the table we'd play this game which i'm like okay cool that's that's high praise i'll take it splicers now i gotta dig that up because they're they're absolutely hilarious but the original core book of splicers um it was written by by this gar- guy Carmen Belair, and Carmen's a great dude. I've I've known him for years, uh, and he's got a lot of like just absolutely amazing ideas. And if you ever play a game with him, if he ever runs a game at a convention or something, like he's gonna kill your character. Like that's he's, that's what he's gonna do. And so when you look at Splicers, literally everything in that game is like, well, I'm gonna kill your character, like to the point where like even humans have nanobots in them that a crazy machine has pumped out into the atmosphere and those nanobots those nano machines make it so you cannot touch technology you cannot touch metal like if i pick up a spoon to eat my breakfast cereal the spoon's going to stab me in the face like literally that's the that's the game and so humans have to use biotechnology or genetically enhanced organisms or um like you know uh, epoxy weapons and resin weapons in order to like to combat the uh, the machine. So a lot of people, when they picked up the original core book of Splicers, said, "Oh my gosh, this is just Terminator versus the Giver," and that's what they did. Mm-hmm. That's how they ran it. That's how they read it. And there's really not a whole lot there to to flesh it out. So. Um, I, and I say all that to preface why I love this game so much is because as a game master, I had that book and I was able to take the guts of a world that already existed and then run with it. There wasn't a whole lot fleshed out. It was like, well, here's what the great houses are, but we're not going to tell you how many of them there are, what they are, what they do. So I got to create a whole bunch of that stuff. When... I was working with Palladium uh, when they were doing their quarterly magazine. They got to issue 50, and they said, well, we want to have uh, a big blowout issue where everything in the issue is official material for our world or for all of our game lines. And so Matt and I were like, let's do splicers. No one's going to do splicers. No one. So, so we did. And so we created some official material. We created two new character classes and some new, uh, new skills and stuff. And, and it was, it was a blast. And then we wrote a couple small source books, which are still in house, uh, over there. They still have the manuscripts. I talk to them like every year at Gen Con. I'm like, you got to print, you got to print this stuff. You got to print this stuff. And, uh, and I, we also did some additional stuff from our campaign uh, that we pulled into, uh, I think, Rifter 70. So that's like, you know, five years later from the, the stuff that we initially started with. Um, but yeah, man, it's the, the fact that we could take this world, manipulate it, make it our own, run with it and say like, well, they mentioned this. What does that actually mean? 
Well, they mentioned this. What does that actually mean? And how does that fit into our society? How does that fit into our view? And we've been able to work with some uh, some people, and they put out an additional source book at one point, um, which was all they were all like adventures that were inspired by some of the stuff that we and we initially triggered in that Rifter Fifty. So, uh, yeah, it's nice. just been an absolute blast. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And I know exactly what you mean when you say like. Um, there's just like one slender book and it has just enough to run the game. And then you're like, oh, I got all this shit that I can just make up. I can like, I can, it's almost like when you, when you're playing PBTA and they say like, draw a map, but leave blank spaces and you get to fill that up with your own imagination. I mean, I love that. I love, I love fleshing out an outline or fleshing out uh, a world and like a story. And that's, so I, I totally understand. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, and, and this is one of the funny things too, is like my entire career at Palladium was really just doing that. Like we look at Madhaven, like in the original Rift's core book, you know, Madhaven has like two sentences attributed to it. And then the Knights of the White Rose have one sentence attributed to them in like World Book 16. And then, so Taylor White and I, who worked together on that, wrote based on those like three sentences of information. We wrote a whole book. Uh, the same thing with, with Triax, there's a little Triax too. There was a, some stuff in the initial Triax. There was stuff in uh, uh, Mindworks that was all talked about, but it was never really fleshed out. So we had the opportunity to do that. And the Sovietsky in, you know, in, in world book 17, like you look at that cover and it's like these big giant like black cyborgs with a hammer and a sickle. It look awesome, you know, big red cover. And then there's like 16 pages of material maybe in that book about the Soviet element. And like only four of those are like world information. And so Matt and I were like, oh no, this is, we, we have to do something about this. And so we did. <laughs> Hey, Matt, do you have I any follow-up on that? Uh, I mean, I was kind of thinking about, like, I mean, Baron's totally right, uh, you know, uh, about the filling in the gaps. And I, I don't know, the thought that occurs to me is, like, that's kind of what we have carried on. Like, our working partnership uh, as co-creators of things goes, you know, splicers. We were filling holes that existed in that book. And with Sovietsky, we were, like Brandon said, we are turning... 16 to 24 pages into another 250 pages of material, you know? Um, and so like, that's kind of our working ethic and how we end up doing all the projects that we're doing because, you know, who's done, like Brandon said earlier about Wild Skies, who's done an anthropomorphic Sky Pirates game set in the 1930s? Like, nobody. That's why we were drawn to that empty space. And then our most recent book that's come out, well, I think it's a, it's, it's, I think we've ordered it, so it's shipping, and we'll be mailing it out to backers uh, as soon as we get it, within weeks. But that's Tenebria, which I was talking about last time I was on, and mm -hmm. it's set right at the end of the Roman Empire. Um, it's got a, it's a very light magic kind of world, um, but again, you don't see a lot of RPGs set in the ancient world and in that time and place, and so when Stephen, who's the writer for that project, wanted to do that book we're like yes there's a there's a there's a space that we can fill up in the world with with this information and i think uh, i think the the rhythms of what we did at palladium have carried through into what we do with wedding games um awesome but, awesome but i've never really thought about it that way but you're i mean you're entirely correct that's yeah well, yeah it's just what occurred to me while you were talking so that's actually a really great segue. Let's uh, let's talk about the new thing. Let's talk about the new hotness. So you guys have a Kickstarter up. Weddings Games has a has a Kickstarter up right now. Uh, it's an expansion for Never Going Home, uh, which um, is very exciting because initially uh, Never Going Home was sort of pitched as a one off, like a one and done, right? Uh, and so now we're getting a little bit of an expansion, which I think people are very hungry for. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Well, I'm going to I'm going to say a little bit of something. I'm going to hand it over to Matt as our creative director, but so I was thinking about this as we were building the Kickstarter. When we originally uh set up Never Going Home, 
it was supposed to be, you know, here's $7,000. We're going to do one book and here's the idea that we want. And it's going to be scary. And there's not going to be a whole lot out there for it. It's going to be boom. Here it is done. Well, it was, it, it hit a nerve with gamers. We, you know, to the fact, to the point where we were like, okay, well, we hit our $7,000 and we had a list of stretch goals that we never thought we were going to get to the end of. And we had to add to it constantly throughout the campaign to the point where we ended up getting over $33,000, which turned a campaign that was going to be one book into four books, a campaign journal, which is like a whole bunch of character sheets and, you know, where you can take notes and everything. Uh, custom dice, two sets of custom dice, and like a deck of cards. Like it was, it turned into a huge project and a huge endeavor, which we got to learn a lot from. And um, I think the uh, when looking at at Gen Con, when which was that was the first time because we, we were committed by contract with uh, the artist. We were like, we're going to have this game available at Gen Con. And when we got there, man, the I think it was the, uh, I mean, it was crazy on Thursday. It was absolutely crazy on Thursday. We were like the the IGDN booth because we're members of the Indie Game Developers Network was absolutely slammed all day Thursday. On Friday morning, I'm I was setting up the booth and someone comes up and it's like, oh my gosh, this is the game that everyone is talking about. And I'm like, we did not bring enough. For everyone to be talking about this game. And like we sold out. We, we literally sold everything that we had for Never Going Home at Gen Con to the point where like an artist from Artist Alley came over and bought our demo set. Like I'm like, people have been been playing with all this stuff all weekend and like going through books. He's like, don't care. I want it. I'll I'll see you at after the con. I was like, okay. So anyway, uh, and that, that's where this stuff really sprouted, is like we had kind of sort of around with this but people kept asking about it so i'm gonna hand it off to matt and you can kind of like tell a little bit more about that yeah i think um we got asked and, and Bert, we mentioned earlier like we had not played 5e until uh the beginning of 2019 but we but i know that's i mean you just can't get away from D. it's basically where everyone starts every generation of nerds starts with D, going back 50 years and so I, being in that that space has really been sort of an education in like where the so many people are at right now. Uh, you know, with the growth that D and D five E being a more playable system, a more accessible uh, gaming system, um, it's just brought so many new players into role playing. And for every new player that comes in, some percent of them is going to want to try out indie stuff as well. So we had. I was I spent a lot of time at the booth last summer uh, there at Gen Con and people were asking me like well can you play a campaign like what is the campaign stuff and I'm like we didn't plan for a campaign because we didn't because um, we have never played that way like as GMs ourselves like we never really think that way about having the material there for GMs to run a campaign like we're more like oh give them the world information and they'll make their own campaigns but knowing that a lot of people use campaign guides and they have adventures and like D&D is crushing it all the time with Ravnica and Descent into Avernus and all that stuff. They're always offering their players new things. Yeah, and like the Pathfinder Adventure Paths too. Like that was another thing that, that people were, were bringing to our attention too. So putting that experience of having people say like, can you play this as a campaign? And it's like, well, we have a bunch of adventures that are all standalone and you can string them all together. And people are kind of like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, so then, like, when the demand was there for more, which is what Brandon was talking about, we've, we've sold the book out at places that we've been to. It made sense to structure this more that people obviously would be having, uh, would be wanting in a way that was giving them that campaign that so many people had asked for. So the, the core of each of these books is going to be a campaign. That's why we're calling them the campaign dossiers. So there'll be six missions per book. Uh, we're doing three books, uh, each set in a different theater of the war. 
and there will be six connected missions so that you can play it as a campaign. You take your characters through six adventures in a row, uh, and things that you do in mission two will come back to bite you in mission five, and you know the climax of mission six depends on what you did in the other five, and that's the way that we're setting them up, and we're we're having our designers do them that way so that there'll be a campaign. And then, then of course, with that, you get the setting information. So if you don't know anything about U-boat combat in World War One, we'll give you that information. If you don't know anything about, you know, the political factions that were in Russia right before the revolution, like, we're going to give that enough that you can have that, plus options for characters. So you'll have character creation options to make a character that's from Russia or that's from... Uh, the, the that's from the Middle East, not Middle East, but like the Ottoman Empire. It's close to the Middle East, but you know you'll have those character options there: magic types, weapon types. Uh, then you'll have the stuff for the the um, for the narrator to throw at the players. So in our Russia book, we're going to have cold weather because that's such a key part of victory. Every time Russia has won a war, it's been because of the winter, and so that's going to be part of the book because it's so key to that theater of the war. Um, and you'll be able to have negative effects for the weather getting colder, which you can then use in your Russia campaign. Or you can say, hey, now it's winter in France. I'm going to put this stuff over in France. We want it all to be modular in that way. So you get your adventure and some extra stuff that you can use anywhere. And that's, awesome. that's what we're trying to make. That's what we're yeah, trying that to sounds make, amazing. So. Yeah, and sounds, that sounds like just what the doctor ordered. And and one of the things too is that with one of the one of the absolute truths about the RPG industry is that number one, expansions will generally sell about half as well as your core book because people want the core of the game. They can decide if they want to play it more or not. And then adventures generally only sell to your GMs, uh, the people who are going to run it. Um, and as a, me, as someone who really loves to play and really loves to run, I'm like, I always feel cheated one way or another. I'm like, I want more of the stuff. Uh, so we had to make a conscious decision. or We didn't have to. Like, we got to make that, constant, uh, that, that decision to say, all right, we want there to be things for players. So like a player can pick it up and say like, cool, now my character knows this cool new whisper path or I can have this equipment. You know, um, you know, I want my character to have something new and different because, you know, we then it, it makes it a more valuable addition to the line for anyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um I actually get caught in that sometimes too. I mean, like you always want the word count to be like maximized for whoever buys it, but uh, at the same time, you want there to be like lots of utility, right? Absolutely. So, um, uh, how is this uh, Kickstarter campaign structured? Since there's three books, uh, when you come on, uh, do you have to get all three? Are you able to pick and choose which books you want? Uh, how is that? How's that working? Yeah, so that's a really good question. When when we were initially talking about this, we were we were saying, okay, do we want to have three separate books? Do we want to have uh, you know three different campaign dossiers, but combine them into one book? Um, and you know there there were pros and cons to each approach that we wanted to take. Um, we settled on the on the way it is now, where. The campaign is for all three books. If you find us at a convention or something, or you want to order them online, you know, eventually you'll be able to get, you know, an individual copy. You say, I want to pick up, you know, uh, Blood on Snow. Like, you can pick up that book and walk away with it at, at a convention. But this campaign is specifically for the three books, um, which is why it's kind of a larger ask. Um, you know, we're asking for twenty thousand dollars as opposed to the seven thousand dollars that was for the original core book because we're doing three books, which is three development costs, three sets of art, all from Charles Ferguson Avery, who did the original art, and he's absolutely totally rad. Um, and then we had to print three separate books, so it's we got we had the opportunity to to look at that and say it will be uh, the end result will be much better 
products for the end consumer. Um, but we feel as though we have enough love in the community and people who like the game that they'll say, yeah, I'll grab all three books or I'll grab the entire package on PDF. Um, we have, we have packages, we have tiers where people can um, just buy the books. They can buy the books and cards and our custom dice. We have people who, if they want, they miss the first campaign, they can buy literally all the books that were in the first campaign uh, through PDF or in print. Um, we even had, in the first campaign, we had a local uh, bookbinder, a local artisan um, work on taking our core book and making it look like a period piece, leather bound, hand bound journal um, that you would find in the trenches, like a, like a, a relic, an artifact in the world. And uh, he's wrapping up the initial order right now. And he said like, yeah, if people want them, like I'll make more. If there's a demand for it, I'll make more. Uh, so we have a, a special, like that's our big high end tier. If people want that um, in the end, the end result is we're seeing a lot of people, the majority of our backers uh, for this one, are going after the pretty much the um, the one with all three of the books and the cards and the dice and all that stuff, which shows me that a lot of these backers either bought it at conventions, they backed the initial Kickstarter the first time around, uh, or they own the, the PDFs or the print-on-demand copies. So, um, However they got the original core books, uh, the source material, a lot of them are just backing for that, that uh, collected uh, set. Yeah, I got to say, I uh, passed on the dice and the cards when I picked it up at Gen Con, but then I was looking at the current Kickstarter and I was like, huh... It is available again. Maybe I should be uh, picking that stuff up. Well, those dice, um, these dice are separate. They're 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 another unique set of dice uh, for the campaign, and these were also designed by Charles Ferguson Avery, um, and we're calling these the Blood Mage dice. Um, and each one of the the hash marks looks like another cut that a blood mage in the setting is using in order to cast the whispers that uh, they've been they've been granted by the others. It was a, a cool concept. It was a lot of fun. And uh, Charles said, yeah, I absolutely will design those dice. Awesome. That is super awesome. Um, that's, that is really exciting. So, uh, shoot. Uh, I guess, I, I mean, it looks to me like, uh, my, here's my last question, R-E, R-E, the dossiers. Uh, it looks like we're getting some kind of like cybernetic uh, Rasputin. Is that something we can look forward to? Cyber Rasputin? Uh, uh, I think you're putting two images together there. We definitely have... Uh, we're, so there's, there's, you're talking about the guy that's like melting into the machinery... No, it looks uh, like he's got these weird eyes. These oh, weird eyes. I know what you're talking about. No, that's uh, the main... yeah that that that's the 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 show of the corruption that that he has. Not necessarily cybernetics. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, but no, Rasputin is definitely a a character and pretty. Uh, he's pretty instrumental to uh, the Blood and the Snow. Um, adventure book, uh, the campaign dossier. It's yeah, it, I, I could see where you would, you, you could draw that, draw that conclusion, but no, 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 it's, it's all the corruption. Um, and there's going to be a lot of fun with that. Awesome. Awesome. That's very exciting. That's very exciting. So, uh, what is next for, uh, wet ink after this? Like what's the, I mean, there's no way that you guys haven't thought about what's coming up next. You guys must have an agenda. Is there anything that you can share? Well, uh, first and foremost, and I'll, I'll hand this off, but uh, first and foremost, depending on how well this campaign goes, we do have stretch goals that are pointing to potentially the creation and inclusion of another campaign dossier. Um, you know, and we have uh, some excellent writers. Uh, we were actually uh, contacted by... Um, Jonathan Gilmore, who was unable to work on the the first campaign, 
but you may know him from Kids on Bikes. He worked with Doug Lewandowski. Doug was oh, able to work. Go. Yeah, Doug was able to work with us, and Jonathan was not. But Jonathan uh, had reached out to us and wants to do some stuff. Um, and so he, depending on what these kickstart or these uh, these stretch goals uh, we reach, we're gonna have some really cool things coming forward. Um, and if this is popular, if people really like these, especially if they're popular at conventions. We may see more of these in the future, uh, but we have a number of other things planned. Um, Matt, is there anything? Is there any specific one of our projects that you kind of want to hint at or or talk about? I'm not. I don't think we necessarily need to play any of these, especially the ones that were announced close to the chest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely the next project. Uh, I'm pretty sure on our schedule is um, we mentioned earlier uh, John Kennedy. And John's going to be uh, working on a book, or he's working right now on a book called um, Heckin' Good Doggos. So we're taking it in a very different direction the next time. Uh, this is probably going to be a smaller, or, uh, you know, a, what intended to be a one-off book like Tenebria was, um, a complete game. But you're going to play as, uh, as dogs doing dog stuff is the, is the plan. So um, excellent! You, you will be dog characters. You will be. You'll have. You have your bonds with uh, humans, and you got to watch out for them. Um, they'll be. Uh, it depends on again, kind of how you want to play it. Like there might be some supernatural shenanigans that you're gonna have to watch out for. It might just be you know you got to protect the house from this scary guy in blue that comes by every day. You got to bark, bark, bark every time that guy comes by because he's shifty. He's always wanting to come up to your front door. You just got to bark at him. Keep your safe, keep your family safe. Um, you know, uh, and that's that's all of that sounds pretty different than uh, you know uh, you're being driven mad by the uh, by knowing magic. But uh, you know, we got to cover the whole the whole range of the market. So that's definitely uh, going to be our next thing after this is uh, dogs doing dog stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's strong. Like, uh, I feel like there's a lot of cat games out there right now. I feel like the oh, yeah. market is currently kind of oriented towards cat lovers, and uh, I would like I personally would like to see some more dog games. Um, and then you know, right now the the big dog game is like anthropomorphic dogs, and I'd really prefer just to. I mean, I I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I think this is a great idea for a game. This is this is something I would play. So I'm stoked to play the dog game for sure. Well, then it's funny because like. Um I had read Beasts of Burden, which was a uh, you know graphic novel. It's a fantastic graphic novel. Uh, I had read that a few years ago, and um, my wife actually got me the other two uh, or two of the other ones for Christmas. Uh, and I was like, man, this is just it's a lot of fun. Um, and just in the design process, John had actually brought up Beasts of Burden uh, as source material, and like whereas there there's definitely supernatural stuff happening in that graphic novel. Like we may have alternate settings or like micro settings that talk about that, or we may have uh, one that's like, you know, post-apocalyptic. So like your dog's running out of wasteland. What do you, how do you survive? Or, you know, there's, um, you know, I mean, if you ever, if you're a fan of fallout, you know, and you, uh, you know, you come out of your vault and there you see dog meat and dog meat's hanging mm-hmm. out with you. It's like, yeah, what if you just played a game where, all of you are dog meat, you know? Um, so it's, there's a lot of opportunity to just have a lot of fun with a, with a, a pretty light concept and just have fun with it. We announced that at Gen Con last year um, and with, with a couple others, uh, a couple other announcements. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys have a lot going on, a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, I'm a backer on Tenebria. I'm waiting for my uh, copy to come in. Very excited about that. Uh, I'll be backing uh, the Never Going Home dossiers. Very excited about that. And then I'm just excited about Wedding Games because I think um, you guys are kind of like up and coming. You guys have a new voice. It's uh, it's really great to have both of you on. Um, where can our cultists uh, get at you guys? Where can you be found saying, for instance, that you want to be found? Well, the number one way right now is definitely going to be our Kickstarter for the campaign dossiers. Uh, if you can, I mean, if you um, search campaign dossiers, we're the only thing on Kickstarter right now called that. So uh, you will find it that way. Probably 
never going home, wedding games, we'll find it that way too. But uh, that's the number one place they can go. That's where the all the happening information is happening. Uh, any sort of announcements about that will be through the updates there. Um, so that's the the number one place we want all your listeners to go right now. Um, Excellent. Excellent. And I would say, uh, in addition to that, um, because I agree, and go check out the campaign dossiers, please. It'd be yeah, excellent yeah. to have your support. If you just want general information about Wet Ink Games, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, we, we highlight a lot of our art um, with uh, some general updates about what's going on, as well as a, we have a pretty active Facebook group uh, where... I mean, we have over a, a thousand followers on Facebook, and we're just trying to make sure that when we have new announcements to make, we can drop it right there. And uh, we should have uh, our website up, um, you know, in the next couple months. So it'll be uh, be able to funnel some additional information there. Awesome, awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time. You know, um, there's a member of your team, and I believe it's uh, your wife, Brandon. Uh, Sarah, is that right? Yes, it's actually my and, wife and Matt's sister. Yeah, yeah, it's a family. It's like a family business. You guys got a family business up there, and uh, it's my understanding that she writes for you some, and that she's a uh, she's kind of a historian of sorts. Is that right? Yeah. So she is. Uh, she, as I said, she's a fiction writer, um, and she does a lot of uh, fantasy stuff. But she's also um, really into World War One history, uh, more than pretty much anyone I've ever known. Um, and she is, she's the one who, who wrote like all of the letters and all of the telegrams and all of the fiction in the original Never Going Home books. And she's writing a lot of that material in, uh, in all of these campaign dossiers, which really help tie that connected story together. Well, we would love to have her on sometime. So uh, next time we do one of these, uh, make sure that she uh, knows that we'd, we'd like to have her on to come and talk about her experiences in the industry and uh, the things that drive her. Cool? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll extend that invitation. Awesome, awesome. Thank you both so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Cultists, go check out that Kickstarter. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, and have a great night. Thank you. Thank you, Brendan. <laughs>